Welcome to Books and Beyond with your host, Alison. Join us for half an hour of information, entertainment, reading recommendations and beyond. Brought to you by Auckland Libraries. I know this girl. Hi, Haida Mai Kiara, and welcome to our Books and Beyond Literary Lounge with Alison and Enika. Kiara Enika. Kiara Alison. Well, look, on today's show, we are going to celebrate the gutsy, the determined, the courageous and brave. And I guess uh, this is quite timely because by the time this episode goes to air, um, the Women's Rugby World Cup will have kicked off in Tamaki, Makaurau, Auckland. So I just want to say good luck to our amazing Black Ferns. Oh, absolutely. Can't wait to see them rock it. Um, definitely something for our listeners to, um, to be read lists. Um, Black Fern um, Ruby Tui's memoir is just about out on the shelves, and that's called Straight Up. So get in the catalogue and get that one on your queue. Yes, yeah, I can't wait to read that. There's a bit of a queue already, so it's going to be it's going to be a good one. Ruby, um, she's a remarkable woman, and she's a player of, of such flair and fun. The um, crowds just go wild whenever she touches the ball. So um, yeah, I can't wait to to read her memoir. Um, so. We aim to to get this read and reviewed on Books and Beyond as, as soon as we can. Absolutely. So watch, watch the space. <laughs> In the meantime, we're going to jump to another um, remarkable woman um, of, of pastimes. Um, uh, this in the last couple of weeks, I have read the book Joan, a historical novel by Catherine J. Chen, um, published in 2022, and it's available in our adult fiction collection under historical fiction. Now, Joan um, is an absorbing and imaginative deep dive into the life and psyche of Joan of Arc. Now, um, listeners will know, or many of you will know, that uh, Joan of Arc was an illiterate French teenager who claimed to hear the voices of God and the saints. Um, she lived in the 1400s. Um, she was remarkable for having come out of um, rural France, crowned the French king, and led soldiers into battles against the English during the Hundred Years' War. Um, this was before she was captured by the enemy and burned at the stake for heresy, wearing men's clothing, and various other charges at the tender age of 19. Now, in Catherine Chen's version of um, Joan's life, there is a decided downplaying of Joan's spirituality. The heavenly voices and the visions are not as much in, in, uh, in abundance in this version. Um, her strength and courage instead um, seems to stem from her childhood of sort of constant beatings and put downs from her abusive father. And she has this soldier's heart from growing up surrounded by tales of tragedy and war. A little quote from the book, who has lost, who has won, who was maimed and how many are dead. She makes a promise. If she, Joan, has a choice, then she will choose to be a thrower of rocks. She will live. Now, Catherine's Joan is, um, is perhaps a little different from what you might picture when you think of Joan of Arc. Um, she's unusually tall and strong, described as a giantess by some in the book. She's got an abundance of raw talent and military strategy and skill, despite having no practical experience when she first starts out. And she builds this fervent following amongst her fellow soldiers and the citizens that she meets through acts of service um, along her journey. So in this book, really, she's more of a superhero than a saint, I'd have to say. 
who heavily voices are kind of presented as a bit of a, a, a PR campaign that's not of her own making and that mythos around that surrounds Joan as a sort of spiritual and in this book near supernatural maiden warrior tends to rise and fall on the politics and patriarchy of the church and state. As the Queen Consort warns Joan in the book, uh, the scales are changing every moment, every hour. Mm. Um, I'm sure many of you all know how it ends. I think I've mentioned before mm. that she does burn at the stake. That part is not mm. in the book, I'm glad to say, to be honest. Um, now, my interest um, in Joan of Arc was first sparked by Lives of the Saints books, which um, compulsory reading for Catholic kids, as you well know, Alison. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> And also by um, by Tessa Duda's wonderful um, Songs for Alex, which mm. is the fourth book in her Alex series, in which Alex steps out of the swimming pool and into the tighter role of a production of George Bernard Shaw's play, St. Joan. Yeah, oh, I totally hear you on that because those two books certainly influenced me as a as a younger person as well. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Um, Nick, so, you know, I was really pleased to be jumping back into the world of Joan um, in this one. And in Catherine Chen's um, storytelling is, is very sensual and visceral. Um, it follows Joan's literal and psychological journey from her hard scrabble childhood to the mud and blood of the battlefield, from the gilded palace halls to prison cells. And it really helped me enthralled from the start right to the finish. There's a little quote that seemed quite fitting for our theme of gutsiness, um, Alison, um, it said, uh, there are many things in the world one can inherit, money, land, power, a crown, but an adventure is not one of them. You must make your own journey. Wow, that's an awesome quote, Shane. Yeah, it is. And uh, I think you've been re- reading of a modern day saint just about. Yes. Um, speaking of, of saints, now look, I've just finished um, a New Zealand biography and it's called A Gentle Radical, The Life of Jeanette Fitzsimons. Now it's written by Gareth Hughes and it's just been published this year. It's available in all our formats and um, totally worth getting in the queue for. So um, just a reminder that um, Jeanette Fitzsimons was the co-leader of the New Zealand Green Party from 1995 to 2009 and she was a member of parliament um, from 1996 to 2010. Now she was the first Green MP not only in New Zealand but also in the world to win an electric seat outright as opposed to getting into parliament via a, a proportional representation pathway. So this was a huge achievement. Now, she had the courage to go into battle against the traditional political parties, Labour and National here, who are both deeply conservative in their own ways. And um, Jeanette was highly regarded by political friends and foes. And Mm. it's almost like she made no political enemies in her lifetime of activism quite rare. Yeah, it is rare actually. And but it was so sad because she died suddenly and unexpectedly in 2020. But thankfully the ex-Green MP Gareth Hughes has, has done a magnificent research and writing job with this book. He's unearthed so much that was previously unknown about Jeanette's life and activism. 
And I've got to say, I didn't realise that Gareth Hughes was such a good writer. He's um, really faithfully represented the life and work of his mentor, colleague and friend. Mm. Now, as well as being the story of Jeanette's life, um, the book is the story of the rise of the New Zealand Green Party, um, both aspiring towards, yeah, both of them really were aspiring towards the management of, of growth and mitigation of environmental disaster on our finite and, and fragile planet. So Jeanette Fitzsimons was born in what was a golden golden age actually in 1945 in Mosgiel down south and um, this was just before the end of World War II. So 1945 was the start of um, this worldwide exponential economic growth. Um, it's a time of great optimism, huge consumption of minerals, resources and energy and of course we now know that the result of this Oh, the harvesting of the planet's resources has been climate change and um, the shrinking of the natural world and the extinction of species. Mm -hmm. So really big, um, what's the word, consequences mm. for all of this consumption. Mm. So Jeanette Fitzsimons was a visionary. She was a pioneer and a radical. And this is the story of someone who battled the patriarchy, the old boys club in parliament, and had the courage to challenge those political sacred cows. She's a unique figure in our political history, and yet she's someone whose personal story has been largely unknown up until recently. So um, a bunch of, of questions get answered in the book. Um, so how did this gifted musician who came from a relatively conservative rural family get to the front lines of, of radical political thought and then into the front benches of parliament? How did she become the first Green MP in the world to win an electorate seat? How did she survive the brutal world of politics and get through those tragic days after the death of her beloved co-leader Rod Donald? Mm. Why did she end up declining ministerial power in 1999? And then later on, why did she declare, essentially declare war on Labour over the issue of genetic engineering? Oh, yes, I remember that. Yeah, that's right. Those were... You know, hugely intense times. What can we learn from her politics? And what did she actually think of the Green Party that followed her? Um, because, you know, everything changes. The Green Party has evolved. Ah. She lived a, a really fascinating life, um, filled with moments of high political drama. And her example of, that she set of how to navigate politics and adversity adversity and triumph is um I think it's more important than it's ever been. Mm. She was a, a tremendous role model. I'm so glad that this this biography has been written. It's one of these things that's been meticulously researched. It's got a wonderful index, which you know we love those. <laughs> and um it's gonna be an asset in libraries, a great research tool. But more than anything, it's just a great yarn, a, a great story of a life well lived, but one that sadly came to an end 
too soon, too soon mm. for all of us. So rest in peace, Jeanette, but what a great woman. Oh, wow. I really need to get this one on my list. I'm a bit late to the party on that. Thank you, Alison. Well, our next book is one that we've both been reading in the last week or two. Yeah. It's very exciting. Um, and it's called To the Sea by New Zealand author Nikki Crutchley. It was released at the end of 2021 and it's available at the library in our adult fiction under the crime section. And you'll find it on Overdrive as an ebook and you'll find it in Borrowbox, which is one of our other ebook platforms, um, as an e audiobook. Now, to the Sea was long-listed for the 2022 Naya Marsh Awards, um, which are, of course, New Zealand's um, famous crime writers' awards, um, recently um, pulled, actually, Alison. Um, um, it is a suspense-filled thriller, and it has actually been compared to Daphne du Maurier, so the lofty heights there. I definitely felt it did have a touch of those vibes, the sea holds secrets and all that. Yeah, um, this is, has fascinated me as well. I'd be really keen to know what other readers think about this comparison. I could definitely see the novel um, Rebecca and the other one, um, Jamaica Inn, mm. perhaps to a lesser extent, um, both of those by Daphne du Maurier. Um, I could see that in in this book. Um, I, You know, and I suspect, um, and, and you confirmed it to me earlier that, you possibly agree with me um, that there are some similarities between the the sea and landscape of Cornwall in the UK and our own um, Coromandel coast and that sort of inland Waikato area as well. Yes, I think that's very astute, Alison. I, I definitely feel like um, not, it's not just the land but also the people perhaps that um, share some traits too in those areas. There's something about a peninsula, isn't there? <laughs> yes, actually it is. Those people get a bit of an attitude. Well, you know, good on them. <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. I mean, I see the people from those sorts of places as defiantly different and proud of it. Yeah. Um, definitely pride comes into play into the sea. Um, in, in this case, tipping over into some dangerous um, egotistical games, I would have to say. Now, um, To the Sea has two main characters, really, um, who, or two main voices. Um, the first, um, Ruby, or Anahita, as we um, know of her in the book, is 12 years old at the start um, of this tale. Now, Anahita has a reasonably happy home and school life. Um, she's very close to her father, but like many teenagers, she starts to get quite frustrated and a bit of friction building between her and her mother as she enters her teenage years. When her father David survives an accident at sea that kills his best friend and David himself is washed up on a remote beach, he decides that this is he's been saved for a reason, that the sea has saved him. He decides to buy um, the property that the beach that he washed up on is on. He renames it Iluka. He moves his family out onto the land and then he renames each of the family members and himself as well. Um, so this is a, a huge sea change for this family. Um, he ditches his job. Um, he rejects any medical care for the brain injury that's resulted as part of his accident. Um, he ditches formal education for the kids. And he sets about building a perfect world for them all on the isolated um, cliffs of Aluka. Now, after her father's accident, Anahita's sense of sort of security and um 
uh, her sense of stability and her old way of life is really shaken, especially when Dad pulls them off to this this isolated spot of Aluka. When she's tucked away there, away from the dangers of the outside world, she feels like she is protected 24-7 by her father being on the property um, and because he has these quite strict rules for living, which um, mean that they're quite isolated from other people. Now, um, the family, the mother and the younger brother of the family, however, they feel really um, unsure and uncertain about that new direction that their lives have suddenly taken um, with this quite unilateral decision that, um, that the, the dad has made. Yeah, um, it's it, it, there's a real eeriness about that decision oh. that that David, the the father, takes, and so David, or um, who becomes known as Hurley, um, oh. he he's renamed himself. He uses this, these feelings of um, isolation and insecurity to his advantage. He sets up a it's a double layered dynamic of us versus them. Um, you know, so it's the family against the outside world and um, himself, um, Hurley and Anahita against um, the mother and the brother so that's um, mm. Ashera and Dylan and then um, everyone on the property works along gendered lines and they maintain the organic self-sustaining farm and buildings um, and beehives and or they work on the cooking and the cleaning. Mm. There's, um, there is a, a steady income stream from artists who visit the farm on short stays and um, the artists are inspired by the remote and beautiful location on a crumbling and eroding cliff which overlooks the beach and the sea but little do these visitors know that um, there's a, a lot of simmering sort of violence hidden below the surface of, of this idyllic, so-called idyllic retreat. Ah. Now, it's a really cleverly structured story. It jumps back and forth between Anahita's experiences at Iluka in the past and then the, the, the present, which is told in the first person by the now 18-year-old Anna. Now, Anna is a true child for Iluka. She's born on, to, on the land to Anahita 18 years previously and she's never left the the property and she really never knows she knows no other way of of life um now when a photographer uh, called Nico comes to the land and starts asking her questions about life at Luca Anna begins to realize that her perfect world is not really all that it seems Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> yeah. We're not going to tell you too much. Um, we've obviously both read it, but we're so uh, mindful of spoilers. Um, this is really a novel that whose plot hinges on those twisty reveals and switchbacks. Um, so you think it's going one direction and then off it goes again in another. But we're really thrilled to let you know that um, that um, we are going to be having a special promotion with Overdrive um, called Together We Read NZ. Um, now, this is a digital book club which connects readers to the same ebook at the same time across New Zealand with no wait lists or holds on that title. And it begins really soon. It begins on Thursday the 13th of October and it runs for two weeks. And not coincidentally, the Together We Read NZ feature title um, for this year is To the Sea by Nikki Crutchley. Mm. <laughs>
So to celebrate together, we read NZ. Um, Books and Beyond um, with Auckland Libraries is going to be la- uh, kicking it off with a launch event on Zoom. Um, our lovely Alison here will be discussing To the Sea with um, uh, Cambridge-based author Nikki Crutchley. And that's going to be happening on the first day of Together We Read NZ, Thursday the 13th of October at 7pm on Zoom. So, to book your free spot to this event, and we do hope you will join us, if you visit the Auckland Libraries Overdrive website and look at the top of the page, you'll see a Together We Read NZ link um, right up there. If you click on there and pop your details in, then we'll send you the link so that you can join us on the night. We're really looking forward to speaking to Nikki and um, breaking down this book. Yeah, I'm really, I'm super excited about talking to Nikki. It's one of those um, nervous but excited kind of feelings. <laughs> yeah, no, it's going to be great. So you'll be able to borrow um, to the sea from the 13th of October for two weeks um, with no weights. You can find it on Libby or Overdrive. And if you want to know a little bit more about it, you can visit togetherwereadcom slash nz. Yeah, wonderful. Thanks for, for that shout-out, Inika. Hey, well, look, on a slightly lighter note, um, I just want to uh, briefly talk about this terrific book that I've just read. You're going to love it. I know you're planning to read it over the weekend. I, I am, think, yes. <laughs> now, um, this one is called Iona Iverson's Rules for Commuting, and it's by the um, British author Claire Cooley, and it's um, just published 2020. Now, at this stage, it's um, available in hard copy, um, but Claire Pooley's other titles are available on, um, as e-books on Overdrive. So I imagine it's probably only a matter of time before I, Iona Iverson does E. Um, actually, that just sounded all sorts of wrong. Um, what I'm trying to say is soon we'll have the e-book version of it, I'm sure. <laughs> So now the the novel is set in London in 2019. Now this, of course, is pre-pandemic, and it follows a group of train commuters who undertake that daily grind of travelling from suburbia into Waterloo Station in the city, and you know, spending their time trying to ignore their fellow travellers mm-hmm. and maximise the distance between themselves. Now some of the commuters read books, others read newspapers, some man spread or woman spread take up too much space. Some talk loudly on their phones, others listen to music, some try the most terrible pick-up lines on each other, and some school students try to intimidate other kids their own age. The upmarket are rubbing shoulders with the unwashed, but somehow they all seem to know the rules of commuting, and the first one being that you never make eye contact or conversation with a stranger on a train. (laughs) We all know this. Now, look, the vibe of this book is kind of Bridget Jones meets the girl on the train meets Sliding Doors. Um, Now, our main character, Iona Iverson, is an ageing lesbian who had become famous in the 1990s as an influencer before that was even a thing. And she and her partners were it girls at the time. They were everywhere. You know, they'd be seen at every opening, you know, from the opening of an art gallery to a nightclub to a 
an envelope, you know, they were there. But Iona's star has faded somewhat in the last 20 years or so. Look, I tell you, it happens to us all. Um, And she's gone from um, being a lipstick lesbian to an old hat, has been, really. Um, From from an it it girl to a well-past-it girl. Um, And she now works for a magazine called Modern Woman, and she's its agony aunt. But look, it turns out that Modern Women don't read glossy magazines called modern woman anymore so Iona is facing massive uncertainty in her career especially now that her boss at modern woman is a man who is 30 years her junior so look in a slow reveal we discover that Iona's life with her with her wife B is not all that it seems and Iona's coping with her sadness and stress by helping others but she's unable to ask for help for herself now the other characters in the book are all facing their own private and public battles, but their facades are well and truly up at the beginning of the book. Mm. And it's only when an arrogant merchant banker chokes on a grape and has his life saved by the gorgeous, pouting and gentle Sanjay, a nurse, that the walls begin to come down and three generations of misfits bond and become involved in each other's lives. Look, it's a really delightful novel. It's touching and poignant, but also raucously funny at times. Now, one thing I learned from the story is never, ever discuss Lady Gardens when you're on a bus or a train because you never quite know who might be listening. So Words that's to live by Alan. <laughs> Words to live by, yes. That could be a good um yes <laughs> motto. Well I'm gonna wrap it up with a really short little review of a short little book called Small Things Like These by Claire Keegan. It's a twenty twenty one publication available in Adult Fiction, Overdrive ebook and e audio. Now Small Things Like These were shortlisted for the Man Book of 2022, and it's actually the shortest book on that list at only, I think, 115 pages. Mm. It follows coal merchant Bill Furlong in the days leading up to Christmas in the mid-80s in small-town Ireland. Um, Bill is a coal merchant. He's dropping off his final loads to his clients in the last days before Christmas, and he's preparing for the holidays with his wife and five daughters. Now, his delivery route takes him to the local convent on the edge of town, where he finds a tearful girl in tattered clothing hiding in the coal shed and asking where her baby is, while other girls similar to her labour in the laundries and gardens of the convent behind locked gates and doors. Now, when Bill brings her um, into the head nun, he's firmly sat down in the sitting room with a cup of tea, a slice of cake, and he's given an envelope of Christmas cash to thank him for his work through the year. There's this quiet yet very powerful moment when the nun offers Bill a top-up on his cuppa and says something like, oh, will you need to be getting off now on your busy day with a sort of veiled threat behind it? Mm. But Bill accepts the second cup. He stays on to keep her in her place and see what else he can observe while he's there. It's really the antithesis of Mrs. Doyle and Father Mm. Ted. It's this devastating Irish standoff over the teacups. Now, afterwards, Bill starts making a few, um, you know, sort of inquiries around the convent, but the neighbours are similarly kind of sliding away from his questions and doubling down on this don't ask, don't tell attitude that he's getting. There's this massive shame and secrecy around unwed mothers and girls who had, you know, strayed in um, inverted commas, and um, that an unquestioned might and right of the church is very deeply embedded in the fabric of this town. 
Well, he's looking at his wives and daughters getting ready for Christmas. Bill starts to reflect on his own childhood. He actually grows up as the fortunate son of an unwed mother who was taken in an act of charity by her wealthy employer. This means that Bill and his mother end up living a life of relative comfort and modest opportunities um, rather than being popped off into an institution that disappears mums and disappears babies off to other families. He begins to wonder in the book whether he too could change the course of another young woman's life. Now, Claire Keegan has been done an incredible job of building this atmosphere of unease and suppressed emotion behind every simple scene and exchange in this powerful book. Bill is this quietly conflicted protagonist. The stable life he's built for his family is, on his, in his own mind, built on somewhat shaky ground due to his, um, his beginnings. Does he have the courage to risk upsetting the apple cart of this town for another person? Now, this book is dedicated to the many thousands of young women and children who were essentially slaves working within the Magdalene laundries in Ireland across the 19th and 20th centuries, even up till 1996. I can't recommend it enough, so I really urge you to go out and read this book. It sounds amazing, and it's unbelievable that this was still going on in the 90s, mm. isn't it? Oh, well, look, thanks for that. Now, look, to, before we finish, just a, a quick reminder to our listeners to visit Auckland Libraries um, or Books and Beyond on Facebook or our Overdrive homepage if you want to book your spot to hear author Nikki Crutchley at our Together We Read New Zealand launch event. So excited about that. And to our listeners, just once again, thanks for tuning in today. Take care and be kind to yourselves. Happy reading. Haerera, kakite ano. you by Auckland Libraries. Find us online at aucklandlibraries.govt.nz and catch the program next Sunday at 9.35pm on 104.6 FM or anytime online at planetaudio.org.nz slash books and beyond. Every day, every day, every day, every day.